Welcome to Physicians of the Beaten Path, a podcast where we've set out to bust the myth that physicians cannot venture outside the traditional clinical or research career paths. My name is Alex. I qualified as an MD in Syria before studying an MBA, a computer science PhD, and a master's of bioengineering at Harvard, Stanford, and Oxford. Now I'm building a digital therapeutic startup uh, called Sky Therapeutics with Shad. My name is Shad. I'm a physician and a Harvard MBA and co-founder of a digital therapeutic startup called Sky. Our guest today is Dr. Jeff Levinson. Jeff is a board-certified ophthalmologist and the chief medical officer of C International. He is also the medical director of Levinson Eye Associates in Jacksonville, Florida. He is active with several charitable medical organizations, including Volunteers in Medicine, Vision is Priceless, and We Care Jacksonville. He has traveled to several clinic locations in Peru, El Salvador, and Mexico, providing free eye exams and sight-restoring surgeries to those who would otherwise not have access to proper vision care. He has coordinated this, the Gift of Sight program in Jacksonville for over 20 years, which provides free cataract surgery to blind patients. He recently joined efforts with the famous YouTuber Mr. Beast to restore eyesight for 1,000 patients. Dr. Levinson received his bachelor's degree in biology with honors from Princeton University. He received his medical degree from the University of Florida College of Medicine, and he served his residency training in ophthalmology at Emory University. Jeff, thanks for joining the show, and welcome to Physicians of the Beaten Path. Thank you so much, Alex. It's a great pleasure to be here. Jeff, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. You know, we're very excited to explore your story today. So to put things into perspective for our audience, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your path to medical school, and your path to your current point in your career? Sure. And, and I'll start by saying that I, um, I spent the greatest part of my career on the beaten path <laughs> and only fell off the beaten path 10 years or so ago. So, um, so I'll start by saying I, I uh, did well in college and I mean high school and went to college at Princeton, met the girl I wanted to marry, went straight to medical school, right out of medical school, went right to residency. And um, and at the age of 28, I had started a private practice in Jacksonville, Florida. I spent um, the first 25 years of my career uh, on that beaten path, uh, working hard, developing a reputation, seeing patients, treating disease. And um, at about age 50, I had four offices and eight other doctors and 60 staff. I had done perhaps 15,000 cataract surgeries. I thought I knew pretty much everything there was to know about ophthalmology, but specifically about cataracts. And then something dramatic happened that knocked me off the beaten path in a hurry. And that was I was driving home one day, and I, I, I looked up and was blinded by the lights of an oncoming car. And I said to myself, boy, those lights are really bright. And then I paused for a moment and it occurred to me that that's a statement I've heard a thousand times, but from my patients. <laughs> and and two days later, I'm reading the newspaper and I'm thinking, boy, they're making the paper not as, as legible as anymore as it used to be. And it very rapidly became apparent to me that I was developing, that I was developing cataracts. And, uh, and it took on a new meaning for me. I remember I was sitting at the kitchen table maybe five feet in front of my wife. She was sitting in front of a mirror. Uh, in front, I'm sorry, in front of a window. And all I could see was her silhouette. And it suddenly occurred to me that I wasn't just developing cataracts. I was going blind from cataracts. 
And so I had surgery. Um, you know, two weeks later, I called a friend of mine, had to, de- had to debate which of the 20 good cataract surgeons I wanted to call, um, called a surgeon. And briefly, there's a lens inside our eye. The lens um, is supposed to be clear as we get older, but at variable ages and in, in different people, it gets hazy and yellow and cloudy. We call that a cataract. It's the leading cause of blindness in the world. Um, I live in the United States. I have health insurance. And so two hours later, I'm, I'm on the wrong end of an operating microscope, or two weeks later, looking up into the scope, and my surgeon friend takes a $60,000 ultrasound probe, and with it, he emulsifies and liquefies and sucks out my cloudy cataract through a tiny incision. He replaces my cloudy lens with a clear plastic lens, and um, 10 minutes later, I'm walking out the door, and by the next morning, I can see again. So I was a recipient of a wonderful everyday miracle of the modern world. Um, And I spent the next few days just marveling at how beautiful and how magical the world was and how grateful I was to live where I was and when when I did. But every night I'd wake up at like four in the morning, eyes wide open, unable to sleep. And I kept thinking, what if I'd been born in the plains of East Africa? What if I'd been born in the mountains of Peru or the slums of San Salvador? Would I be one of the 200 million people in the world slowly going blind from cataracts for whom the $2,000 cost of surgery is utterly beyond their imagination? Or one of the 20 million people in the world completely blind in both eyes from cataracts, their productive lives utterly over for want of a 10-minute surgery? And uh, night after night, I couldn't sleep until one day I woke up in the morning and I said, I got to do something about this. And what I did is I called a charity. And I said, hey, I'm a cataract surgeon. I'll pay my own way. I'll bring my own equipment. Can you hook me up with some people in need somewhere around the world? Oh, and let me pause for a minute. It's worth saying half of all the blindness in the world is people who need a 10-minute surgery. And what's more, 90% of all the blindness in the world exists among the, the poorest people in the world. There are roughly 800 million people in the world still living on less than $2 a day. And, and most of the blindness in the world is concentrated among those people because they're people who can't afford glasses and can't afford um, cataract surgery. There are roughly a billion people in the world, including 91 million children, who have no access to the most basic of eye care. Anyway, so I called this charity and I said, hey, I just had cataract surgery. I want to pay the gift forward. And they said to me, we'd love to have you. Do you do M6? And I said, what's M6? And they said, you know, manual cataract surgery, cataract surgery without ultrasound and expensive technology, cataract surgery done by hand. And I've been doing surgery for 20 years and I'd done 15,000 cases and I'd go to meetings and I read my journals and I'd never heard of M6, manual cataract surgery. And what's more, not only hadn't I heard of it, the whole idea sounded ridiculous to me. Everybody knows the beauty in cataract surgery, the elegance in it, lies in its technology and in, in, in the sophisticated machinery that makes it possible. So I did I, what I think anybody would do. I hung up the phone. I crossed that name off my list. I went to the next name on the list. And the guy on the other end of the phone said, we'd love to have you. Do you do M6? And I knew right then that my education in cataracts was really just getting started. I remember opening my computer. This was 2009 and saying, all right, how do you learn to do a surgery that you've barely heard of? And I did what I think anybody would do. I went to YouTube. I opened up YouTube. I typed in, how do you do M6? And as every doctor today knows, you open up YouTube and 
pictures magically arise. So this video arose. It was a doctor in Nepal. His name is Sanduk Ruit. And he was magically removing a mature cataract with a few simple instruments in a five-minute surgery. And it just stunned and surprised me. He didn't use ultrasound. Ultrasound works great on soft, melted ice cream, early cataracts like we operate on in the United States. But the cataracts he sees every day are rock hard and hyper mature. And it's not all that easy and not all that safe to liquefy them and emulsify them and suck them out. Instead, he had modified the incision, broadened it a little bit, and he popped the cataract out in one, one piece. I was stunned and amazed and immediately saw that there was a world outside of my knowledge that was an important world. Um, over the next few weeks, I started watching these videos over and over again, started making friends on YouTube. And all of a sudden, I'm part of a community of doctors unassociated with the university or corporate or government support who are reinventing cataract surgery, re-engineering it, reimagining it for the world's poorest people. There's a doctor in Ma uh, Mali who says, take a look at this blade. It's a 25 cent general surgery blade, and I can make an incision with it that's just as structurally sound as the incision you make with your million dollar femtosecond laser. And then there's a doctor in Nepal who says, I can bend a 50 cent hypodermic needle in the shape of a fish hook, and I can slide it through your modified incision, and I can pull that cataract out in one piece, just like really going to fish, 50 cents. And then there's a doctor in India who says, those $150 intraocular lens implants that you're implanting, we can manufacture them for $3, sell them for $4. These were creative geniuses collaborating on the brand new internet, and they were creating something simple and elegant and profound a five-minute surgery, maybe a 10-minute surgery, costing less than $30. It had the potential to change the world. And that was when I jumped off the beaten path and uh, found my way a month later in Huamachuco, Peru, up on a mountaintop doing cataract surgery. Jeff, that's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing this incredibly impactful story. And you know, just reflecting on kind of what you've shared and the fact that you've moved off the beaten path at age 50, I think it just highlights that there is no single time to go off the beaten path. And it speaks to the breadth of impact that a medical doctor can achieve. And I really appreciate the story that you've shared on YouTube because my father is an ENT specialist back in Syria. And during his career, he was interested in complicated ear surgery but he did not necessarily have access to the right tools and the most sophisticated technology back in Syria. So when you were talking about your experience and kind of going to YouTube and watching these surgeries, I was just remembering the countless times that I saw my dad uh, learning and, and kind of refining his stependectomy and kind of ear surgery techniques by watching these YouTube videos. And so I think it's really incredible that you shared that story. I really appreciate it. The resources available to us today are extraordinary, uh, uh, YouTube being foremost in my mind. Absolutely, absolutely. And I love that idea that you can repurpose a lot of equipment to perform the same surgeries without necessarily the need for incredibly complex and costly equipment. So I love that idea of access. And Jeff, you've, you've talked about wanting to pay the gift of side forward, and you've emphasized the importance of making these treatments more accessible. I really appreciate the perspective that you've shared on the impact of cataract and the fact that 1 billion people don't have 
access to basic eye care. You know, I'm not surprised because uh, practicing in uh, low-income settings during the civil war in Syria, I'm familiar with the impact of preventable and curable diseases in low- and middle-income countries. I think neglected tropical diseases are another example of kind of basic health issue that, that has a very, very large healthcare burden across the low-middle-income countries. But really, the fact that these challenges have not and are not being currently sufficiently addressed is a glaring failure of our global society and global development machines. And it's amazing to see pioneers and advocates like yourself working to address those issues. And frankly, when I read your story, I could not help but think about the story of Paul Farmer and Partners in Health and kind of their journey in terms of addressing these major uh, global health challenges. And so as a medical so I will doctor, tell you that, um, yeah. I'm oh, yeah, sorry. I, yeah. I was, I'll tell you that uh, Mountains Upon Mountains, Tracy Kidder's book about Paul Farmer, is the book every everyone with an interest in humanitarian medicine ought to read first. It's a wonderfully inspiring book. And, and I read it as a 30-year-old, I suppose. And it, and, and it's, it lit this fire that uh, that took 20 years to come to, <laughs> to turn into a blaze, but that's now blazing bright within me. And no, that's amazing, Jeff. Thank you for sharing. And, you know, as a medical doctor who practiced in the most advanced settings in the U.S. for a large component of your career and then transitioned to helping uh, patients in low-middle-income countries, I'd love to learn uh, kind of how do you think about the role of MDs in high-income countries in addressing these global healthcare challenges and healthcare inequalities. I think our listeners who are interested in global development would really appreciate your thoughts and perspective here. Yeah. So I think the first thing I would say is that um, I could I could move to the Philippines or move to Honduras and El Salvador and Central America. I could do surgery every day, all day for the rest of my life. And when I was done, there'd still be 20 million people completely blind in both eyes. No one person has the power to do enough surgery to impact the problem of global blindness. It's worth adding Fortunately, people are living longer and longer than they ever have before. The average human lifespan increases by nine and a half hours per day and has done so over the course of the past 40 years. So the average person used to live to age 40, 40% of children used to die by the time they were five. Um, in most of Africa now, the average life expectancy is about 70. And what that means is that the number of cataracts that we will need to address is growing exponentially. There, there are 20 million people bilaterally blind in both eyes completely today. And if we don't do anything differently by 2050, there'll be 50 million people. So we need to find ways to deliver this care more efficiently and more productively. And it's not going to be American doctors traveling overseas to do it. It's going to be us helping our colleagues overseas to develop the capacity to do this work themselves. So see International, the um, charity with whom I serve as chief medical officer uh, has a priority in developing sustainable programs overseas, working alongside host doctors, enhancing their skills and their capabilities, providing them the material support that they need to uh, to to fulfill their own ambitions for their own people. And, and I think that's the role that American doctors can play. Um, we can be supportive. We can provide education. We can provide training. Um, perhaps oversight and uh, outcomes data and and uh, information technology, but ultimately we need to develop an army of cataract surgeons in the places where the people need it. Yeah, absolutely, Jeffy. I really appreciate your point here. And I think it speaks to the, to the importance of 
this capacity building approach to global development, the importance of creating kind of sustainable ways to solve these challenges rather than relying on kind of one time off or short term influx of resources, be it funding or kind of experienced surgeons to temporarily solve a problem. But then that resource is no longer available and that resource is constrained quite frankly, as you've mentioned, given the number of patients, that service or that problem is no longer addressed. I, I love this approach that you've mentioned, but really appreciate the fascinating yeah. thing for, um, for your audience and for the entrepreneurs who are listening is that cataract surgery is very likely, it very likely pays for itself. In fact, we have evidence to suggest that when you do cataract surgery in a poor part of the world, you can up to double the family income in the years after cataract surgery. So it ought to be possible to develop microfinancing and microloans, means of supporting the surgery that don't require outside financing after a while. There ought to be financing mechanisms that are developed to the family that recognize the economic value inherent in taking a blind person enabling to see again. So uh, uh, the next step for me, I don't have expertise in this field, but I'd love to see a model whereby we finance surgery for families that pay it back with the extra income that relief from blindness provides. Yeah, Jeff. And you, got, and you guys are the MBAs. Tell me how to do that. <laughs> Jeff, it's a great idea. I mean, it's a great idea because I think one of the Big challenges in terms of access to these treatments comes from the fact that a lot of low-middle-income countries have nationalized healthcare systems that that are supposed to provide care for their patients, but very frequently don't actually have the resources to provide care for their patients. And these same national healthcare systems would benefit tons of addressing all of these healthcare challenges because it improves the productivity of individuals across the country. But the problem is. Uh, they wouldn't be able to capture this productivity in the direct kind of immediate short term, but it's more longer term productivity. But I think it's an amazing idea to create these microfinancing solutions. And I think it can work around these challenges of the mismatch of who would benefit from solving the healthcare challenge and who can pay for it. But I love that idea. So I think it definitely should be there. But I'm going to hand it over to Shad Jeff for a few questions from his side. Thank you, Alex and Jeff. Really appreciate the conversation and appreciate you shouting out you know, microfinance. As someone who grew up in Bangladesh, you know we have one Nobel Prize winner. It's Mohammed Yunus, who's a U.S.-trained economist, but he hails from Bangladesh. And he was one of the pioneers of microfinance. And it's something that I have delved into a little bit here and there just in my free time. Just before I jump into questions, I wanted to reflect on one element that Alex also reflected on. I think, Jeff, what's particularly inspiring about your story among multiple facets is that it showcases, as Alex mentioned, that it's never too late to go off the beaten path. And I just want to impress upon our audience this notion because we don't often get a chance to impress upon our audience this notion. You did it at age 50. And, and just to be clear, I'm not saying that age 50 is old by any stretch. I really am, am not. But our audience does tend to lean very young, mostly you know 20 to 35-year-olds and then mostly pre-meds, med students, residents, and fellows. And I imagine it's partially because individuals who are older may already be differentiated uh, professionally, and they may think it's too challenging to sort of go off the beaten path and do it well. But it doesn't have to be. What's important is using your life experiences like you did with your own cataracts and your professional skills like you did as a surgeon 
to make an impact sort of outside the confines of the four walls of, of your local hospital. Doing that is really going off the beaten path. So I, I appreciate you sharing your story here. In terms of, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. I said my, um, uh, let me, let me, I, I tend to think that you, that at least in my case, and, and I think it's generally true that people spend the first 40 years of their life working on their resume values and they spend the next 40 years of their life working on their eulogy values. Um, you, you, the first four years of your life, you're building a home and a family and a career and a reputation. And then the next 40 years, you try to, rem- you try to imagine what the best life you might live is and how one might best express it. So there's great freedom in being middle-aged. It's um, <laughs> for, for your audience who's not yet middle-aged, something happens around age 45 or so that frees you from all expectations and from all obligations. Suddenly you can be yourself without regard to what anybody else might think. And you're, you have a little ind- financial independence, a little independence from young children. It's a great time in life. And, uh, and I found it to be my most, creative and productive time in life. I'm 64 now, still growing and changing and loving being 64. No, I really appreciate that perspective, Jeff. I think as as you alluded to, and you said eloquently, your priorities drastically change. And when some of that burden, societal burden, self-imposed burden, professional burden, familial burden sort of lifts, then you have the bandwidth to use a business term to be able to actually go out and do what you always wanted to do. And so I really appreciate that perspective. I wanted to talk about the Mr. Beast video, even though you've done amazing, amazing work for decades, uh, honestly, the Mr. Beast video was my first exposure to your work, which sort of denotes, at least to me, how important social media influences can be uh, in bringing light to certain issues and why collaborating with social media folks, even though some people sort of poo-poo that idea, in my opinion, is important. And so I'd love to know how you know, the opportunity for such a collaboration came up and how the experience was and why you ended up agreeing to work with uh, someone like Mr. Beast. Yeah. So um, the first thing I would say is that for 15 years, I've been standing on a rooftop screaming, we need to end needless blindness, you know, trying to create the moral indignation that would be necessary to end needless blindness. And for 15 years, nobody listened. And all of a sudden this week, I met Mr. Beast <laughs> and Mr. Beast video came out and 95 million people all around the world are talking about this problem. I always believed my whole life long that the day would come that we would rise in righteous indignation and seek to end needless blindness. But I never once imagined that the messenger of it would be a 24-year-old kid named Mr. Beast with a YouTube channel. <laughs> so having said that, um, about five years ago, I did a TED Talk. And in my TED Talk, I talked about my dream of ending needless blindness. And 95 million people did not see it in 10 days. Um, In fact, 11,000 people watched it over the course of five years, which is to say virtually nobody (laughs) saw my TED Talk. But one of the people who saw it apparently was Jimmy Donaldson, a 24-year-old kid in South Carolina who calls himself Mr. Beast. Wow. And out of... And out of the blue, he called me about three months ago and he said, I love what you're doing. I love your work. I'd love to grow at a wider audience and I'd love to videotape it and uh, tell the world about it. And um, and that's not actually said. He said, hey, it's Mr. Beast. Have you heard of me? Do you know about me? I'm kind of a thing on YouTube. And I'd never heard of him. And I almost hung up. He said, I want to do a thousand surgeries all around the world three weeks from now. It all sounded preposterous. I almost hung up. But I Googled him, and it turns out he's got 130 million followers. Um, Over the course of the last three months, 
his work has been watched by 616 million unique individuals. One out of every 10 people on earth has watched a Mr. Beast video in the last three months. So, um, so I called him back. <laughs> and, um, and there was never any question in my mind once I knew who he was and what he was all about and, and that he was genuine in his interest that I would be happy to work with him. And, um, and I had to, um, uh, I didn't, when I, for 30 years, when people come into my office and they're blind and they have no money and they have no insurance, I just do them for free. We have this program called Gift of Sight, coordinated by a charity called Vision is Priceless here in Jacksonville. We've been doing that for 30 years, thousands of patients over the years. Um, but at the time when, at the time he called, I had nobody saved up. We don't have a waiting list. We just get people done. So I had three weeks to find as many blind people as I could. Um, and so I called every homeless clinic and every free clinic. And I looked under every rock and under every curb and I found 40 people in and around Jacksonville. Some came from as far away as Tennessee and Savannah and Tallahassee who were blind in both eyes without health insurance, without access to pay. That itself is an indictment of the American healthcare system that 40 people popped up in three weeks completely blind. But Mr. Beast came down. We interviewed each patient before their surgery together. And uh, then I would do their surgery. And then we took off their patches and interviewed them after surgery. For your audience members who haven't seen the video, the video is basically a compendium of the moment when the patch comes off on 50 different people watching the magic of restoration of sight to somebody who had been lost and hopeless and blind a day before, 10 minutes before. Um, so yeah, there was <laughs> he was the real deal. And um, he made this um, kind of... Um, you know, most videos about um, giving sight to blind people start sad and mournful and they explore the desperation of the lives of the people who are blind and talk about um, their hopelessness and their despondency, and then they blossom into happiness. Mr. Beast took a different approach. His audience is primarily 15-year-olds, I think. Um, so it was just this happy romp through a thousand cataract surgeries. Um, we did 40 of them in Jacksonville, and then I hooked him up with Sea International, and we sent him to six different countries all around the world. Um, he, get, he made a big donation to Vision is Priceless to support the surgeries in Jacksonville. He made a bigger donation to Sea International to support the charities, um, uh, to, to support the surgeries that we did overseas. And in 10 days, 95 million people have watched this, and not just on YouTube, but it's a story that's been covered by the Today Show and on the ABC Evening News and on CNN and on BBC and um, on Fox News and on Newsmax. It's a, it's a story with legs. Everybody loves the idea of seeing pe blind people sighted again, and then it's generated some, co some controversy surrounding the question of why it took a YouTube 24-year-old to bring this question to light and uh, and whether he might have benefited from it. Um, should I explore that for a minute? Because that's another interesting part of the story. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to ask you about that, Jeff. I just wanted to reflect briefly on what you said. Amazing, amazing story. First of all, his audience may be filled with 15-year-olds, but this 30-year-old really loves Mr. Beast. And I always tell my wife and Alex uh, about Mr. Beast and all of his really, really crazy and ambitious ideas. He, and he really, really does have oh, good. ambitious, ambitious ideas, far more ambitious than I would say every other YouTuber that I personally watch. And I've always thought how he gets inspired and, and how he even gets these ideas. And so it's very interesting to note that he gets some of these ideas organically from other individuals and by just watching other YouTube videos, YouTube videos that may not 
be like, you know, hyper popular, like the videos that he actually creates and from folks who are not necessarily in his sphere. And by the way, I don't know if you're doing a running count, but your TED talk is now up to 16K. And so it's getting there. It's getting maybe not 90 million, (laughs) but it's going up quite a bit as well. But I did want to talk about, I guess the right word may be controversy, but it's far broader than that around the video. First of all, the video, even by Mr. Beast's standards, uh, is doing well, as you noted, uh, almost 100 million in just under 10 days. Uh, And the reaction, I would say, generally has been very positive, but it has sparked a conversation around numerous contentious issues. And I'll just pick two of them. One has been the role of private philanthropy and the government uh, in performing essential healthcare services, uh, while the second has been the publicizing of said philanthropy in a YouTube format that allows someone like Mr. Beast to monetize and get more views. And some have brought up, you know, systemic issues, while others have taken issues with Mr. Beast as an individual and his intentions. And then granted, sort of in our fractured society, both descriptively and somewhat pejoratively, you know, with access to things like, you know, Twitter, there's often vigorous dissenting opinions uh, about most things. Anything out there, there's an argument against and and for it. Uh, And the social media format and etiquette also ensures that these opinions are sometimes very blunt and never ending. Uh, The internet, as I like to say, doesn't really make a living out of giving people the benefit of the doubt. But what you get for better or for worse are people's unfiltered thoughts, opinions, and sort of inner voices and their passion about certain topics. Uh, so what is your you know, general assessment of, of people's varying reactions to the video? And, and what conversation do you think out of those reactions do you feel needs to be had? And what's the major takeaway you want people to take away from the video? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is that it's my impression that 99.9% of people who watch this video feel heartened by it. Many of them feel moved to act upon it. Um, having said that, let me address the criticisms. Um, one criticism is that um, people are concerned that Mr. Beast might make some money on this video, that he might monetize the suffering of blind people for his own benefit. But let me present the counterfactual. What if he had called me up and said, Jeff, let's do a thousand cases. Let's not tell us all. Let's not have a video. Let's not tell us all. Let's just do it. And what if we'd gone out and cured a thousand people's blindness just as we did and not told a soul? What would happen is there would not be 95 million people talking about the problem of needless blindness in the world today. There would not have been a hundred thousand hits to the C International website over the last, over the first four days since the video was released. Uh, it's worth saying. Uh, uh, the C website got over 100,000 hits over the last week, more than they had all of t- 2022. So he's raised this awareness and and motivated people to move and to act and to give in a way that would not have happened had he had he done this philanthropy privately. Um, it's only because he's Mr. Beast and because he's famous that 95 people, million people are talking about it. There are 20 million people in the world who are blind today with, with no access to care. Um, Mr. Beast hopes to make a dent in that, and he can't make a dent in that anonymously or privately. He needs to use his platform to make this happen. The other criticism that you mentioned was, was I think, a more legitimate criticism. There are many people who look at this video and say, this is outrageous. It's outrageous that it takes a 20-year-old millionaire to bring sight to poor blind people. Shouldn't this be a human right? Shouldn't this be an obligation of governments, of neighbors, of families. And I find that 
argument to be very compelling. It, it is outrageous. There's a degree of moral indignation that people feel when they watch this video after they've had a chance to absorb the joy of it. They say this shouldn't be happening. People shouldn't be blind and dependent upon the generosity of a, of a kid millionaire to, to have their sight restored. And I think Mr. Beast would agree. And I think that's part of the reason he called me and part of the reason we did this project together. We ought to have a degree of moral outrage related to blind people in need of a 10-minute surgery that can be done for $50 that ought to be vocalized and screamed from the rooftops until we change it. Yeah, I really appreciate that nuanced perspective, Jeff. I think, you know, in so many words, you sort of defined or, or distinguished uh, or made a distinction rather between, you know, systemic criticism and criticism of systems and criticism of individuals who are well-intentioned. One of my friends always says, hey, like criticize systems with fervor, but be kind to individuals, especially individuals who are trying to do the right thing. Um, so I think that element is sometimes lost on individuals. And so I encourage people to think along those lines as well. An element to discuss as well, and I don't know what, what's happening behind the scenes for this particular video. As I understand, Mr. Beast usually reinvests much, if not all of his earnings into other videos, some of which, you know, helps charities. He has a channel called Beast Philanthropy, where all of the earnings from those videos usually get, you know, funneled into more videos to provide charities and food and care to a variety of people around the world. And so the money oftentimes does go to good causes. And the last element I wanted to talk about is you're right about awareness and, and motivation. It's even more than that because it's awareness and motivation among people who just would not have engaged with this issue at all. I mean, like you said, you've been screaming from the rooftops and a lot of physicians and ophthalmologists and a lot of us in public health who've interfaced with public health intermittently throughout our lives are aware of something like this. But, you know, the average 15-year-old or 20-year-old who watches Mr. Beast probably doesn't know that you can cure blindness in 10 minutes uh, or you can cure blindness with just a few tools that are repurposed, you know, with $25, $35. That's huge. Even that awareness is sort of earth shattering to a hundred million people or, or a significant segment of them. And so on balance, obviously it's all trade-offs and, and sort of nuanced discussions, but on balance, I think getting this out to a hundred million people is certainly a good thing because it raises awareness and a lot more people are talking about it now. Uh, but really, it also yeah. will, um, at the end of the video, he also says, for, for those of you who are interested in seeing this work continue, here's the website for C International. And C's uh, server went, went through the roof this week, and, um, and we hope to raise money and, and, and in doing so, move this work forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so it had a very direct impact. Right, Jeff. And that was going to be the crux of my next question as well. I, I wanted to know sort of what's next in your advocacy and charitable career. You know, one of the patients in your video said, you know, I haven't been able to see for the last 62 years. In your TED talk, you talked about the fact that for every blind individual, there's a family or a caretaker take, caring for them. Um, so curing one cures the caretaker as well to live productive lives. That level of impact is immediate and profound. That's one of the reasons, you know, I did two years of surgical residency. And, and one of the reasons I did that was because I couldn't get myself to sign up for delayed gratification. I really liked the fact that people came into the hospital, had an identifiable issue, you could help them. And in many cases, the next day or the day after they could walk out of the hospital and be better. You're doing that in an even faster pace, right? 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes and changing people's lives. That's amazing. 
and you had a large influence before, but with a wide audience now, the influence is just even larger. And so do you plan on changing how you engage with philanthropy and advocacy over the next few years? If so, you know, how do you plan to do so? So I'm hopeful that the Mr. Beast video will give me credibility that will get my foot in the door with corporate um, benefactors to an extent that it hasn't in the past, and perhaps with governmental and public health officials to an extent that it may not have in the past. Um, it's something funny about saying that that Mr. Beast made me more credible, but um, but I believe that to be the case. I believe that uh, that that something about a hundred million viewers um, opens the door for me. So uh, my expectation is that I will probably, I, I, every time I go on a trip and lately I've been going to the Philippines and we do a thousand surgeries in about a week and it's the most exhausting, but moving and beautiful experience. One by one by one, you see lives change and you hear these stories and I'm addicted to it. And, and while I'm there, I can't wait to go home and take a nap. And, um, and as soon as I'm home, I can't wait to go again, but I expect that I will probably spend more of my time now here in the United States, lobbying, raising money, raising awareness, um, because Mr. Beast has made me a bit of a celebrity. <laughs> um, but uh, but I'll undoubtedly continue to take two or three trips a year regardless, just to um, remember what it's all about. Um, I, I still have a thriving private practice. And, um, and it's very easy over the course of a busy week in private practice to feel burnout to uh to be annoyed by the emr and the and the and the employee issues and the billing and the collecting and the bureaucratic and uh, uh all the things that weigh down doctors in their normal daily lives but there is nothing to cure burnout like the purest expression of my best self and that's doing surgery on somebody who otherwise can't afford it for free, just because I love to do it. So, um, so I'll continue to take these trips and I'll continue to uh, coordinate the gift of sight program in Jacksonville, uh, mostly because it fills me up and reminds me of who I am and why I became a doctor in the first place. But I'm hopeful that, um, that I'll have more access to the avenues of power in the, uh, in the coming months and that we'll be able to drive this mission forward. Yeah, I really appreciate that answer, Jeff. I'll add one more thing for you to do. I think you have to write a book because you're filled with just like inspiring quotes. I've been writing them down frantically because they're actually so helpful for me personally as well. And I can only imagine how busy you must be. For those in the audience, we're actually recording this at 9 p.m. So I imagine, Jeff, you've been working during the day and doing interviews at night. So again, thank you so much for taking the time to really chat with us. To finish off, Jeff, you know, how can our audience learn more about the impact that you're having and how can they follow your work and you know maybe the work of charitable organizations that you're supporting and are a part of yeah for those who are interested in a domestic program the gift of sight program in jacksonville is run by a uh, by a charity called Vision is Priceless. Website is visionispriceless.org. And we provide free cataract surgery to people in need in and around North Florida, South Georgia. Um, and then C International does 200 trips a year to 50 different countries, sponsors teaching programs and training programs, uh, provides the equipment and materials and skills that people around the world need to in their effort to end needless blindness. The website is cintl.org, S-E-E-I-N-T-L.org. Uh, any for support for either of those organizations, organizations would be greatly appreciated. And the gift will be highly leveraged and, uh, 
and used to cure blindness among people most in need. Thank you, Jeff. Really inspiring story. And I know our audience will be better for it and for hearing about it. Really appreciate you taking the time and you're welcome back anytime. But thanks for uh, being on Physicians of the Beaten Path. Thank you so much for having me, Shad and Alexi. It's been a a great pleasure knowing you guys. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, having an opportunity to talk again about our next breakthrough. Great. Thank you. That was such a fantastic episode with Jeff. Really, really enjoyed it. Lots of takeaways. My big one is the importance of publicity, exposure, and tapping into the right networks. These things actually do matter quite a bit. Depending on your perspective, you may consider it either a great asset to have these things or a necessary evil, but at the end of the day, it is necessary. And without it, not much gets done. What's interesting is that Jeff talked about how he's been screaming from the the rooftops about curable blindness for over a decade now, but very few people cared. But in one week, since the video got released by Mr. Beast, he has gotten 100 million views, has interviewed and been interviewed by, you know, every conceivable mainstream news outlet, as well as niche, you know, outlets as well. Uh, And he mentioned he was always hopeful that such a day would actually come, And it came just from an unexpected source, uh, which ended up being a famous 24-year-old YouTuber. But because of the publicity that he got from this video and the exposure that Mr. Beast provides, this moment is like, you know, proverbial lightning in a bottle for him. And and now he's trying to leverage it to bring, you know, even more awareness to this issue and, and help a ton of people. So his ambition... And his desire to help people hasn't been quenched, you know, a single bit. In fact, it's gone up multifold because of the last week. And that just really, really, you know, tells us how important things like publicity exposure and the appropriate networks can be in medicine and beyond. But that's my takeaway. And over to you, Alex. Thanks, Chad. Those are great points. And, you know, I like the conversation with Jeff a lot. And part that stood out to me was around the cost-effective solutions and the need for creating such solutions uh, to address many healthcare issues. You know, I like the frugality element around the discussion. Uh, Jeff had brought up the topic of, you know, surgeons on YouTube finding cost-effective means to do cataract surgery that do not require incredibly complex and costly equipment that are being used in cataract surgery uh, today in the U.S. And it's a very important point because the natural tendency of progression Uh, it seems in resource-rich environments, is to create solutions that are not mindful about cost and resources because kind of the system and and the players in the system who have the access to capital tend to absorb these costs. But these solutions deny access to people and systems that do not have access to the proper resources, i.e. if the only way to do cataract surgery is to rely on equipments that are very expensive. I think Jeff had mentioned that one piece of equipment costs $60,000. If that's the only way to address cataract, that denies most of the world access to cataract surgery. So I want to highlight this issue because creating cost-effective and accessible solutions to solve many healthcare problems could actually be a very impactful avenue that uh, physicians and, and our audience can pursue and can potentially create very large markets and opportunities because, again, you're increasing access to particular solutions to 
millions, if not billions of patients. And one interesting resource to actually look at is a relevant course from Stanford. So Stanford runs this course, which is called Frugal Science, and it's focused around the same idea of creating frugal solutions for a lot of the challenges that we see today. Those would be my two cents here, but I love the episode today with Jeff and to our audience out there. You know, join us uh, next episode for more conversations with amazing physicians who have ventured off the beaten path. And uh, remember to follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at POTBP Podcast and to catch our latest podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. To get in touch with us, you can email us at physiciansofthebeatenpath at gmail.com or visit our website at POTBPpodcast.com. See you next time.